1.15 p.m. If you know anything about Chicago politics, you'll understand why a 63-year-old board captain was braving the ungentle hour and the less gentle streets. You see, Ward Captain Leo J. Ramutka was returning home from a wake. An off-Wiedersehen to a loyal, registered voter he knew would one day meet him in that great polling station in the sky. What Ward Captain Ramutka failed to foresee was just how soon that meeting would be. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak in the case that we're calling The Nightly Murders. It was the 18th episode of The Night Stalker, released on March 7th, 1975, directed by Vincent McEvity. I thought it was McEvity, but I don't know. The only episode that he directed of The Night Stalker, story by Paul man, Magistretti, who I think this was his first gig uh, as a writer. He would go on to a bunch of other stuff, a lot of Berettas and some Simon and Simons, and one of my favorite things, Whiz Kids. And it was also written by Michael Kozel, Kozol, who would go on to be the author of Richie Brockelman, Private Eye, which I don't know if that lasted more than one episode or not, but that was kind of this weird failed spinoff of uh, Columbo, if memory serves. So No, no, that was a spinoff of The Rockford Files. Oh, it was, because that same guy was in Columbo as like a... He wanted to be a detective, but then he wasn't. You're right, though. It was uh, Bochco and Cannell both working on that. Played, of course, by Dennis Dugan, who then went on to not only be in movies, but he like became a director and directed a bunch of Adam Sandler movies. And Chris, he, uh, Richie Brockelman, Private Eye, qualifies for the one-season show. Just saying, that was all him. And then uh, Mc, McEvity... McEvity. He he also directed a ton of shit, including a whole bunch of the 1990s Columbo, but the less said about that, uh, the better. So I am joined by Chris Dashu, as always. Yes, I am here, and that is spelled nightly with a K, not with an N. And also on this episode is special guest Richard Haddam. Hey, thanks for having me back, gentlemen. So let's talk about the nightly murders. Uh, yeah, like you said, Chris, this doesn't happen every night, though it seems to happen every night for a little while. Yes, that would be the way it seems. Yes, let's talk about it, because I am not going to give my opinion until I hear at least one other opinion. Ooh. I am on tenterhooks. I really like this episode, and I am willing to explain and then defend my uh, liking of this episode. But I'll, I'll say the two things I like about it the best are, I like the guest stars, John Denner and Hans Conried. I like them a lot. And, and, I, uh, and I also, I'm going to say that I actually think the, the, that uh, the Black Knight is kind of a badass antagonist and looks pretty cool. I'm not saying it couldn't look cooler, but I think there's always something really awesome about a suit of armor coming at you with the blank mask down and you just don't know what's making it move, but you know it's going to kill you. So um, based on those two things, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I was so reminded of Scooby-Doo. Whenever I see a suit of armor that is (laughs) running after or coming after someone... 
But like, but in a good way. You're saying this was this this made it good, right? Oh yeah, of course. I like the guests a lot. Are you going to be mean? The, Are you going to be mean, Chris? I mean, the way that this episode wraps up is one of the worst wrap ups of an episode we've seen of this show. Period. Did you read the script? Because I just read the script last night. OMG. <laughs> this episode opens up in an insane asylum where we've got two sets of legs coming into this uh, room where we then uh, reveal that it is uh, Vincenzo and Ron. And then the person who's on the floor turns over and it's Carl and he starts babbling about this black knight. And he's in a straight, he's in a straight jacket. <laughs> and Ron, of course, is like, oh, this is the best that he's dressed in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so his narration, because we don't see him narrate the beginning and end like we normally would see him sitting at his desk or, you know, on a dock waiting for somebody right. to pick up his luggage or something like that. But here he is. In this insane asylum. And then even at the end, they break the fourth wall because they're like, oh, there's a little camera over here, Carl. I've been recording you the whole time. You know, you don't have to worry about getting to your recorder. It's all on tape and they have it on film. And then Vincenzo looks right at the camera, shrugs and walks out. And then Carl looks at the camera and says, well, you believe me, don't you? It's all true or something like some really it's really weird. And and I'm. I got to say for, for, but he, but he, okay, a couple of weird things. One is, so the, the first scene and then that final scene, the, the bookends of him in a straitjacket in an insane asylum are removed, but then everything else is almost exactly as written. Like, like word for word, the dialogue. I mean, it's, it's incredibly faithful. I think maybe within those other pages, only a couple scenes have been cut out and they may have been filmed and then just cut out. But otherwise, the dialogue is like ridiculously faithful to what was written, right? Other than that opening and closing, which are maybe like five pages worth of stuff, this script runs 62 pages. And I'm like, I know that they said that with Kolchak, they would tend to overwrite a little bit because McGavin liked to have a very rapid fire delivery. So he would compress the time that way, but still 62 pages. It's a lot. And I will say though, that, that having read now a couple of these scripts, I actually think that in terms of filmmaking, like, like a writer trying to write a visual piece that some of these scripts are written at a pretty high level that the actual production never uh, lives up to. <laughs> it's like, it's like, okay, that's a nice idea that we would do that reveal or have that angle or tell the story in that particular visual way, but we don't have the time or money. So we're just going to throw a camera at it and uh, film the scene, it, which is kind of sad because clearly even at this late date, 18 episodes in someone is like, there might be a cool way to actually come into this scene. And they just, it just never happens. I'll tell you what, I did read the script. I was just curious if anyone else had, because the intro and outro would have made this episode 10 times better. 
Because it would have been different. This is very much stock and trade Kolchak at this point, which is fine. However, the issue I have is that the way it wraps up is so similar to things we've seen before that, oh, and then all of a sudden this magical axe kills the Black Knight. Okay? I want a little bit more in the climax of the episode. That's what I want. There seems to be a little bit of a disconnect with this episode because there is so much to like in this episode. I don't dislike this episode, but the way the episode wraps up is so rushed and ham-fisted. And it's like, and then a magical axe, and they're going to be mad at me for destroying their museum. The end. Like, whoa. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the post-killing of the monster beat is literally, it's 15 seconds of just some voiceover and then we're out. And it's funny though, because I always remember, Oh, like he, I think it is kind of cool and on brand for Kolchak to like not be badass and to almost just barely survive his encounter with the supernatural thing, which I really do think is a conscious constant thing. It's never cool. He's never in control. He just like can barely do it. And the fact that he can, he can only like the, the the battle axe is so heavy he can barely lift it. I, I always sort of liked it, but I was also frustrated by it, and I was surprised to see that it was really mapped out in the script. It was like in the script, it's like he can barely lift it, he barely gets it up to his knees, he barely pokes at <laughs> at the suit of armor with it, and and yet apparently somehow that's enough. And then and then the suit of armor collapses onto the edge of or the point of the axe and that completes the ritual killing it's only a flesh wound so that that part was a like a little frustrating in the way a lot of these endings are like he never really just gets to sock the shit out of one of these things but yeah and then it wraps up really quick here's my thing though chris do you think it would have diminished like in your eyes your respect for kolshak if you literally saw him in a straight jacket no, I think it would have been just kind of an interesting twist. I mean, look, this is the same guy who murdered someone in front of the police. I mean, he murdered Scorsini, like straight up killed him and was essentially just, you know, giving away scot-free. So if this show were on now, and I'm not talking about the 2006 remake, I'm talking about if it were on now, there would have to be, there would be a storyline similar to the way the script was written. Where Kolchak is, you know, deemed insane by people and, you know, he's spouting off this nonsense and people don't take very kindly to it and want to get rid of him. It's a little bit more kind of prescient, I think, than even the show was attempting to go for, if that makes sense. It showed some consequences for Kolchak doing what he's been doing this whole time. Exactly. But what was weird about it was why this episode? Like, how is this one any crazier? Like, like, it's not like, like, they didn't have a scene earlier where, like, Tony's giving a speech to the press club and Carl comes running in screaming about something. Like, there are other episodes where he's probably publicly acted more insane. So it was a little weird that, for whatever reason, this is the one that ends him in the booby hatch, even though I know it was Roush sort of getting his revenge. But, you know, I mean, it was just kind of odd, like, if they are going to do that as a bookend. Why for this particular episode? That's the thing I don't know is why this episode, unless it's just Roush outplaying Kolchak, 
which is fine because Roush is, I think, one of the better kind of police, you know, not villain, but kind of antagonist for Kolchak that we've had, if not the best. And Sean Denner is so great. Do you recall ever seeing this actor before? Because I, I mean, he turns up in a lot of stuff. He was in an episode of The Rockford Files called There's One in Every Port. But I really remember him from an episode of the original Twilight Zone called Mr. Garrity and the Graves. I don't remember that, but I remember that he was in an episode of Columbo. He was the Commodore in Last Raw for the Commodore. And he was the commissioner, I think it was, in Airplane 2, the sequel. That is beautiful. Well, Garrity and the Graves was one of the creepier Twilight Zones. And it was in the, it was kind of like in the Old West. And John Denner, the guy who plays Roush, comes into town, and he's basically a guy who who says, I can bring all of your dead relatives back. And so everyone pays him a bunch of money to do it. And, and, and then that night at midnight, it's very foggy in this old western town, and all these people start wandering through the fog from up on Boot Hill or wherever it is they're buried. And when the town suddenly realizes that it's for real, they pay him twice the money to make it stop. And this is what he does, town to town. And and you know, and it's and it's but it's one of those ones where it's like, oh, now is it a complete con game? Is he hiring actors to do it, or what is it, or is it the monkey's paw? But that's what he plays in the Twilight Zone. And he's the same. I mean, like anytime you see John Denner, he is just John Denner. He's exactly the way he is in uh, in in this episode. Well, it's kind of like Hans Conrad. He plays unhinged so well, and he'll play that like erudite professor type character who is just on the edge of going crazy. And when he passes over into that, I just always love when he explodes. Yeah, like when he played Captain Hook, which oh. is what I know him from. I mostly know him from his voice work and then uh, like Captain Hook, but I think he also did uh, voice work on Bullwinkle. And then he was in The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, which is a fantastic movie. That's right. When was he hooked, though, Chris? What? Which one was? The original. The, the. 1953. The, the Peter Pan. I could only find his hideout. I trapped him in his lair. But where is it? Mermaid Lagoon. Now we've searched that. We've combed Cannibal Cove. <laughs> Here! No, 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 that's it, Dilton. But wait. Those redskins know this island better than I do my own ship. Yep, same year he was Dr. Terwilliker. Oh, okay, so you're saying he was better than Dustin Hoffman? <laughs> uh, is anyone better let's than not go crazy come on yeah <laughs> i just want to i just want to be clear here i just want to know what we're saying definitely no hugh jackman okay oh my god i forgot that that was a thing what about what about christopher walken that's the deepest of deep cuts <laughs> that yeah that, that that's pretty deep <laughs> allison williams is was it allison williams is peter pan in that one a total abomination of an idea but whatever no, Hans Conrad is great, and there are no more Hans Conrads. <laughs> like, there is no, like, who is today's Hans Conrad? Exactly. Oh, that's right. He was Snidely Whiplash. That's why I remember that voice. Yeah, that voice is great. 
And and it's funny because they I know we've talked about this before, but Kolshak, I mean the you know, Darren McAvin version, they really packed these episodes with recognizable, venerable old character actors. And I have to believe that these guys were still under contract to Universal or 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 somehow because I don't otherwise I don't know how you get them unless it was just like Darren McGavin's poker buddies, and he's just like, oh, yeah, call up hands, he'll do it. People like Shrug Fisher, he's got a filmography a mile wide, you know, just so many people that are like, oh, yeah, I recognize that face. I might not know exactly what they were in, but for sure I recognize that face. I mean, let's be honest, the best part of this episode is when it turns out Vincenzo has fake telephones in the office. <laughs> yes. He has a knockoff that telephones. That was great. I know that they had like telephone licenses and TV licenses and those kind of things over in England. I don't know about unofficial phones here in the United States. What is going on here? I don't know. I have no idea. When Ma Bell, before it broke up and they had the monopoly, was it like you had to buy your phone from the phone oh. company? And and each phone had to like be registered somehow and they had bootleg phones? It definitely seemed like a bootleg phone of some sort. But yeah, I think you're right about that. That whole subplot or like little kind of little bit is pretty great. But I mean, Robert Emhart as the coat of arms dealer who is essentially selling Kolchak bullshit for no reason other than to get money out of him because he thinks he's wasting his time is pretty great. That whole coat of arms thing totally reminds me of the taxidermist that we had a couple weeks ago where it was just like oh how well you know how dare you write bad things about taxidermist but where's where he's just like trying to sell him a stuffed animal trying to get money out of him whereas this guy's just like yeah let me sell you a coat of arms and maybe i'll give you some information but it's going to be really difficult to get that out of me What's weird about it is that on the page in the script, it's even more obvious that they're complete charlatans and they make a much bigger deal out of like cutting one name off of a coat of arms and gluing the Kolshak name on to give to him. From a writing standpoint, is like, why are you telling us that this guy is a total liar, yet at the same time, this guy is providing the linchpin information of the entire episode? Like, we're supposed to believe everything he says about Guy de Metancourt, but at the same time, he's totally lying to Carl. So you're like, okay, we we're totally solid on the one hand, totally lying on the other hand. Okay, I'll buy that. Sure. It's just a little weird. It's a little weird. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, and it's totally Kolshacky to to have that. It's just, it's hard when they're working across purposes in the exact same scene. Like, you almost want... Because whenever you get that character, when it was Victor Jory in the Diablero episode, or that guy who deals in Hindu antiquities in the Rakshasa episode, it's like one way or another, you believe those guys when they're laying down the legend, right? And so but, this guy's performing that role, but but he's also like, oh, but I'm also a total liar. <laughs> I don't it was <laughs> But somehow you buy it. I don't know. I'd also like to point out Lou Dressler, still alive, which is great because she's awesome in this episode. Speaking of her still being alive in real life, dying off screen in this episode and being a throwaway line, again, kind of weird. Very weird. Right? Oh, like, and she's dead, what? by the way. Like, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> she got axed to death in another room. Oh, you're, you're talking about uh, the woman who plays Minerva Musso? Yeah, yeah. 
Lou Dressler, the yeah. One who, the one who's disappointed that, that Kolsak isn't there to rape right. <laughs> What the fuck? Yes. Rape or, rape or, uh, what does she say? Rape or theft? Rape or robbery? Like, right. What? And, and then Kolsak says, no, 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 I'm, I'm a reporter. Don't get excited. And she's like, oh, he's saying don't get excited. What a depressing little man. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, yeah. Different era, right? I guess, or something. Amazing character. I'm going to go to my grave believing that David Chase wrote all of that. Because with the reference to David Bowie, and that just to me feels like David Chase kind of talk. But that is... That is a weird character. I mean, I love her, but that character has not. I don't. I don't want to say she hasn't aged well, but man, that is not the kind of character you're going to see today. Yeah, when she made the result, the uh, reference to David Bowie, I was like, did I just hear what she just said? Is that? I went back and actually rewound it because I didn't believe that she was making a modern culture reference. And then Kolchak goes, "Oh no, it's not about David Bowie." And I'm like, "Wow, now we we actually have a little sound clip of." Kolshak saying David Bowie. And they get a lot of mileage about uh, him getting the perfume on his clothes from her. And that just is like the running gag for the rest of the episode. Right. That he, he smells like a bunch of dead begonias. But you know what? I, I, the other thing I love about this is that they, like, they're always trying to come up with another twist on, well, what's Carl's relationship with this week's police captain going to be? And and in this episode, he's actually pretty aggressive. Like, it's not the police captain necessarily going, get out of here, Carl. It's Carl becoming exasperated with him. And then even when he tries to pull rank in that episode, he's like, oh, if I were you, you know, you were found five feet from a, a, a butchered corpse. I'd have a big tension headache. And Kolshak just comes right back at him. He's like, you know what? You're lazy. You don't even do police work anymore. You steal information from reporters and you sit on your ass and you don't, and you're, you're bored with police work. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, Carl's like fucking taking it to this guy with tongs. I was impressed. Well, the way that he describes him as the Edward R. Murrow of homicide, I was like, "Whoa, wow, he must really respect this guy. And it feels like he's kind of uh, hero worshipy at first. You know, what do you say to a living legend? And then he's kind of tongue tied talking to him. But yeah, as the, as the uh, episode goes on, the scales kind of fall from his eyes. And he's just like, this guy's a total phony. He just is a blowhard. And I love the way that he's played. He's just, he plays a blowhard so well. And there's one other weird little thing in this episode that I don't know that I've ever picked up upon until I read the script last night. But um, Minerva Musso, like there's that moment where they think that Hans Conried might be putting on the suit of armor and killing the people who are going to turn his museum into a discotheque. And we haven't even we haven't even unpacked that insanity. Unpacked is the correct term to use. <laughs> but but he says she Minerva Musa, the character of Minerva Musso says, Oh, I walked in on him and he was standing in front of a mirror and, and and saying some weird thing about cleaving things in twain. And then they sort of just go past it. But in the script it says 
in in the end in the big confrontation it says oh and then the the knight swings an axe at Kolshak almost cleaving him in twain and then I'm like wait a second are you saying that Hans Conried's character Mendel Boggs was like did some weird spell like some occult spell that brought the knight to life to go kill his enemies what do you guys think that would make a lot more sense to me than just this suit of armor decides to get up and walk around and kill all these people who are all to your point there to turn this disco this museum into a discotheque it would have made a lot more sense to me yeah i mean again it's it's one of these episodes where things are just happening and they want there to be like a driving force behind it, but there doesn't seem to be, even though they like bring up that there should be or could be or can be. It's like, don't even bring it up. Just leave it alone then. And that's the weird part. Like you would almost expect like in the script, then there would have been a scene where like he sees like Kolshak goes back almost like in the zombie episode where he sees the old woman doing the, the voodoo spell to bring her grandson back to life. Like, like you'd almost realize, oh shit, that's the answer to the whole mystery is that this guy has come up with some ancient um, occult spell that can that can reanimate this thing. And then at the end, it'd be like, well, when I went back, you know, Mendel Boggs had packed all his stuff and his apartment was empty and no one's been able to track him down. And it's kind of like, oh, that'd be cool. But that's not even in the script. Like, they almost went there, but then didn't do it even at the script level, which was odd. But yeah, I think that would have been cool. I really think that would have made a lot more sense and would have, you know, because we always are on that line as far as, you know, it, regardless, it would have been a supernatural thing. Him conjuring this force to be inside of the suit of armor. But I think it would have made more sense to actually give that suit of armor a little bit more of a purpose. And like you were saying, like use this golem type figure to do his bidding. It's kind of like if you're going to go that far, just go ahead and go the final step. Why not? Give give Hans Conried an even more cool character to play. Well, and that's what I don't that's what I don't understand about this episode. And that goes back to my initial problem with the climaxes. Why not make it an actual villain? Why make it this like nonsense of the suit of armor just came to life on its own? Like, what is to be gained by not having an actual tangible villain for Carl to chase down? Even if we know he's just going to get away anyways, because that's the way this show goes. Are you saying that you wish the episode involved Kolshak murdering Hans Conrad? You know what I would have preferred? The way I would have had it end would have, would have had the Black Knight turning on Hans Conrad instead. No, no, my own creation! Exactly. Yeah. Like Frankenstein's monster style. Instead, we get this, like, lukewarm nonsense of just like, well, maybe, but not really. Like, okay, well, fine. Sure. Oh, oh, yeah, no, you could do that. You could, you could have, you could have Kolsak figure out, like, he could be saying to Vincenzo, I think that that guy, that Mendel Boggs in that museum has figured out a way to bring that knight to life and to do his bidding and murder his enemies. And I'm going to go confront him right now. Then you cut to Mendel Boggs and the, and the black knight killing Mendel Boggs and Kolshak getting there just a minute too late and then realizing, oh shit, now Mendel's dead. And I don't, I don't know the spell to make this thing stop. 
and now I have no choice, and I've got to somehow figure out a way to get to that battle axe or whatever. The axe that's been blessed by the Pope. Like they all have. Come on. That's a, that's right. a normal thing. Sure. Yeah, pretty much. They just walk down the line and bless them all. They kind of come off the assembly line that way. we got to remake these episodes. Let's just remake the original episodes and just add little bits and pieces that, you know, that just raise them up. I hear Stuart Townsend's not doing much these days. Yeah, Gabriel Union is making TV shows for Spectrum. Stuart Townsend is looking into the darkness. <laughs> dark, darkness. Dark, 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 darkness. darkness. Uh, but it's looking back into him. Him, 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 him. <laughs> oh, you're doing yeah, the words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the words that show up on the screen. He's saying words. Here are some of them. Yeah, it's uh, look, let's not kid ourselves. And look, I will take the worst episode of the original show over the best episode of the remake. But the thing that drives me to enjoy this show as much as I do is always going to be Darren McGavin's performance. And then comes the character actors in a close second. But the monsters and stuff are not, it's not that they're not memorable, it's just that they're not particularly creative. I mean, if you really want to go there, you can say this is almost an invisible monster, since we never really get to see what's inside the suit of armor. Yeah, he's just, oh, and the suit of armor is empty. The end. Well, what did you want, like, ectoplasm to come out? I mean, they could have made, like, a spirit thing float away. God. (laughs) It could have been that skeleton from last week's episode. Yeah. Anything. We have had so many invisible killers, both on the original and the reboot, that it's kind of astounding. Yeah, but I don't think I would not count this as invisible. This was a badass black knight swinging an axe and a lance and a mace. I, 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 I don't agree. Agree to disagree, but it was still invisible in the suit. The monster was not in the suit. That is correct. We're all in agreement on that. I will agree that at least it's not fully invisible. Chris, I'm invisible inside my body. <laughs> Listen here, Richard. I don't want none of your esoteric doublespeak on this podcast. It's it's better than the invisible predator that Kolchak fights in like the what the what the hell was the name of that episode? The one with Matchy Mantu? No, 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 no. The en- energy eater. The Matchimanito. No, no, the Matchimanito is something different. They they have, they are, they will be was the alien episode. Right, yeah. That was the alien. The alien, that's the UFO and the Matchimanito are two separate invisible enemies. Oh, the energy, yeah, because the, oh, right. But the alien eats energy. <laughs> the alien is eating, isn't the alien eating electricity? Or is that the Matchimanito? Yes, you're correct. They're both eating energy and one of them also eats bone marrow oh my god boy (laughs) there's a lot to unpack here one of them leaves a big mess on dick van patten's lawn yes that's right that's what that's the thing i remember from the ufo episode is dick van patten that's the role that got him that, that put him back on abc's radar for eight is enough guys what would happen at a medieval steak and lobster discotheque I mean, wouldn't everyone be murdered by the Black Knight? You would go, you'd be eating in what was a museum. There'd be like food getting on priceless artifacts. And then you get really drunk and then there'd be a disco ball and then there'd be some disco dancing. I think it's all very, very clear. So basically it's like a medieval times restaurant. No utensils. You guys ever been to medieval times? Is that you guys know about that or? 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I went to Excalibur out in Vegas. That's kind of the same thing, right? Same, exact same thing. Wait a second, are you serious? There's no utensils at medieval times? Wait, you don't know this? The conceit is, it's the medieval times. They didn't use no fork, no spoon, and no knife. So you have to eat everything with your hands. They give you cups. They give you cups, though, but no utensils. Because they had cups by then in history, but they didn't have forks or knives. Correct. <laughs> or spoons. Spoons yeah, came you, later. You actually didn't know that? That's insane. I thought that that was like a commonly known thing. Dude, I've been to medieval times and I didn't <laughs> even make that connection. Were you high? <laughs> I must have been. I must have started with the grog and never looked back. Yeah. Don't bring me any food. Just bring me more of your finest ale, sir. We only have Budweiser here. That'll do. Welcome to Medieval Times. I'll be your serving lunch, Melinda. Might I fetch you something from the barkeep? Dost, dost have thou a mug of ale for me and me mate? He has been pitched in battle for a fortnight and has a king's thirst for the frosty brew. Thus thou might have for thus. I'll be right back, my lord. My thanks to you, fair wench. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden this is like fucking Jim Carrey and Cable Guy. That's what makes it great. Yeah. Jesus Christ, what was I thinking? Um, what were they thinking? I mean, look, I still can't even believe a thing like Medieval Times exists. However, it's pretty funny that they're essentially talking about Medieval Times in this episode. But I love how they tie it into a disco. T- like, what is the disco? P- like, a theme restaurant's one thing. Was it just that it was 1975 and and everything had to sort of be, hey, you know what? Disco's big. Just mention it, and that'll make it feel more like real life. I think that has to be what it is. Friggin' amazing. I never understood that. I'm like, really? So you've got priceless antiquities, but they're going to leave them there somehow. I don't don't know. And let people dance around them. Yeah, because that's what people want to do. That's, you know, that's what makes you hungry. To me, not having Mendel Boggs being the villain in regards to the thing turning into the discotheque is bizarre. Because why would the suit of armor just come to life? Like, why would it just come to life on its own? Like, because it heard that it was, the museum was being turned into a discotheque? It was reading page six, and right. when it came <laughs> yeah. to that item... You read the script! It got really mean. You make him into, a, like, a necromancer or whatever, and you set up... He knows this, the ancient spell. He's the, He's got a book, and it's got the ancient spell to bring the, the knight to life, and so I, Kolshak have to go track him down and make him do the equal opposite spell to make it stop. But before I get there, he's killed. Couldn't he just be the guy that they talk about? Wait, what? Oh, the the dude from history? Yeah, couldn't, like, wouldn't that even be another option is just make it like the guy figured out how to just live forever because he was already doing necromancy and shit anyways? Oh, so he's basically, he's like Connor McCloud. He has all the antiquities and stuff, and he's got the whole, like, museum in his apartment. But now apartment. he's, like, fallen on hard times and he can't do anything about it, and they're going to turn his thing into a discotheque. So Hans Conried is like the Highlander or something. He's been around this whole time. Maybe it's because they've done something too similar with that the Jack the Ripper episode, which would kind of be like that, where it's like he's been around forever and he's just kind of hanging out, like doing his own thing. Even if he didn't make him immortal, here's the joke. You've got, they build this mythology that there's this knight who hated all human pleasures. And so the very idea that anyone would be, 
you know, celebrating or dancing in, in the museum where his suit of armor lives is so repellent to him that his ghost is coming back to kill all those people. But Mendel Boggs has the exact same character, the same motivation. Exactly. He's like, I, exactly. I, I'm appalled that these people are doing this. So why not just connect those two? They were right there. Oh, God, you got to get David Chase on this show. I would like that. I've been asking for a long time. I mean, if we talk to David Chase, all we want to do is ask, what did it mean when the screen went to black? <laughs> no, that's the joke. We will literally never mention The Sopranos. Yeah, we're not going to bring up The Sopranos. His career ended at The Rockford Files. He's done two shows, Rockford and Kolshak, and that's all we care about, and really only Kolshak. So really, it's just, okay, explain Chopper. <laughs> explain it. Listen here, David Chase, you explain this to us right now. <laughs> Yeah, we want to talk about your great, greatest television show uh, you know, that, I can't that ended help but, in 1975. I can't help but think, as much as he probably doesn't want to talk about The Sopranos, he probably enjoys just constantly being like, yeah, I, you know, I kind of wrote The Sopranos, you know, whatever, like, no big deal. He'd probably rather talk about Shack. It's like, I've answered every fucking Sopranos question I'm ever going to answer. And we walk up and it's like, oh, fuck Sopranos. Tell me about Shack, And he'd be like, oh, God, finally. Okay, great. What do you want to know? I'll t- tell us, what, the, tell the us about The Sopranos. And the, the, great. Tell us about The Sopranos and the movie coming out, please. It's weird because David Chase was involved with so many of these episodes of the show. He's involved with, what, like four or five of them, I think? He was, he was the story editor for all of these. So he was involved, even if like his name isn't on these scripts, he has his fingers in them. I do get that feeling because, and but the weird thing is that the 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 titles of people on TV shows has changed so much. Like a story editor now is a very very low ranking person in the writers room, but I think in the seventies the story editor was sort of almost like the showrunner. Like I'm sort of the I'm the writer who goes through everything and makes sure every episode is is sort of brought up to the level or or matches whatever the show is supposed to be. So even if a freelance writer writes an episode, it's going to go through my typewriter to make it a Night Stalker episode, for instance. I, I think that's the role David Chase played on this. Like he rewrote, you know, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale. They they had Cy Shermick as the showrunner um, after the first few episodes. So, but yeah, I see him more as like almost producer type guy. But yeah, I see you know David Chase was like, I guess in modern parlance, the head of the writers' room. I th- I think you're right, and I think Cy Shermick was a guy dealing with the studio and like dealing with the budget and just sort and of and with fucking Darren McGavin. He and McGavin butted heads all the time. Oh, right. Oh, and then McGavin apparently was like an executive producer. And at a certain point, he was like, you know what? Just get me off this show. I can't. I'm too tired. Sounds like Derek McGavin was not the easiest person to work with. But I still loved him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he just seems like he's look, let me put it this way. If I ever had met Darren McGavin, I would have expected I was meeting Carl Kolshak and him and Darren McGavin are one and the same. That kind of like grump, grump miser but with a sharp, like a, with like a quick wit, like a quick wit and a sharp tongue. Was it Mark Dubiziak? Was he saying that, that didn't he meet McGavin once and McGavin was like, here, have some more wine. And they were just like, oh, okay. Like, like a couple of glasses of wine got the stories rolling. That sounds awesome. I would give anything. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? Let's go drinking with Darren McGavin. 
and hear some stories. God, that would be great. And it's unfortunate because we're reaching the end of the show. Two episodes left. So are you guys going to still do an episode about the unproduced script? Yes. Okay, and do I still get to come in and join you on yeah, that? Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> no, Richard, leave. Your infectious optimism is not wanted here. <laughs> mean Chris, mean Chris. I know, I'm the bad cop. I still can't find The Executioners written by Max Hodge, but we have The Get of Belial and Eve of Terror. There was one site that was selling like all of the scripts that I don't have, because I don't remember how many we managed to collect, but there was one that was just like, oh yeah, we've got this and that and the other thing, and I was just like, here, take my money. I was like, fry from that gift. Here, take my money. And... It was like, okay, sure. And then came back, was like, oh, yeah, the guy that sells us those, he's not available anymore. And I'm like, well, then why do you even have him on your site? Why'd you get me so excited about this? And it's just like, can you find that person? And then every once in a while, I'll find like, oh, yeah, this episode, this script was on auction for $300 through some weird auction site, not eBay. And it's like, yeah, well, fuck that. I can't to pay that much money for any of these things. But but yeah, The Executioners has never shown up any place that I've looked for it. I don't have that one. I haven't been able to find it. But offline, uh, let me know the, the episodes. I mean, I know it probably doesn't matter now because you guys are almost done. But if you want them, like I've got a bunch. So let me know the ones you don't have. Maybe I do have some of those. Just episodes. Yeah, we'll All do. Right? Cool. All right. I, I will say this, guys, as you're going into the final two, it's my last really favorite one. Oh, this, this, this is. No, so I don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing any shade on Youth Killer or Century. I'm just saying that this, of, of the, of the original 20, this is my last favorite one. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of Youth Killer and Century. I kind of remember Century, but, and I barely remember Youth Killer. I mean, I think everybody around maybe our ages had something for Kathy Lee uh, Crosby, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I can't wait. I will be sitting by my giant radio on which I listen to you. <laughs> yeah, now, come on, tune on in to the Cold Track Tapes with Chris Dashu and Mike White down at uh, WRKTS Cold Track Tapes. It's it's like the radio from A Christmas Story that uh, Darren McAvin in his other great role, they, they gather around for Little Orphan Annie. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. I want to thank John Walker for our theme music, as always. Chris, tell me, what is going on in your world, sir? Right now, over the CultureCast, we're doing Patricia Arquette August, a little bit of alliterative wordplay there. So we've been talking some Scorsese movies that she was in, a little bit of a movie written by Tarantino, thankfully not directed by Tarantino. Uh, got a David Lynch movie in there for good measure as well. So you can check that out over at CultureCast.com. And if you want to listen to another TV show podcast that uh, I am on, you should check out the One Season Show. Uh, we just started that one, and that is where we talk about TV shows that only lasted one season. I also do a Chronicles from the Crypt podcast where we talk about Tales from the Crypt. But I am busy all the time, and it's not just talking Kolchak. And Richard, what is happening with you? I am. Uh, we're finishing up season two on Titans, and we're about to debut season two of Titans on DC Universe. I think the first week of September is uh, episode one. 
And so as episode one rolls out, we'll be filming episode 13, which I am co-writing. And uh, uh, I invite everyone to check out uh, yeah, uh, Titans on a DC Universe. It's going to be a good season. Yeah, as of this recording, I think they just dropped the uh, season two trailer. No fuck Batman in this one. Though. No fuck Batman. Yeah, what's up with that? That's like the thing. Fuck Batman. Yeah, I was waiting for him to work it in somehow. In this one, uh, Superboy is going to go fuck Superman. Nice. In this one, in this one, we should just have him go eat my ass, Superman. Oh, that's the Tarantino DC movie. Never mind. Lick my bunghole, motherfucker. Lick my bunghole, boy. Things we don't need to hear a superhero say. If this was the Snyder Cut, he would have said it. Oh, right, sorry. But the Snyder Cut exists. Thanks, Kevin Smith. Now shut the fuck up and go back and do whatever the hell you were doing before you opened your mouth. I think he was getting pwned. <laughs> yeah, pwned, bro. Uh, where can people find you? What are you up to, Mr. Mike White? Uh, well, every week I host a uh, podcast called The Projection Booth, which you can find over at projectionboothpodcast.com. Maybe one of these days we can get Richard on that. That'd be kind of fun. Ooh, I'm only fun. planned out to uh, 2021 at the moment, but occasionally I do some special episodes. Like we just did one on Solo, a Star Wars story, which surprisingly I haven't gotten any sort of death threats over. Well, I'm still writing mine, so. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I hope you were triggered. I'm triggered, actually. It's the next level of triggering. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ooh. So triggered, you haven't even heard of it yet. It's like drugged and triggered. <laughs> I'm triggered. Well, I would thank people for going over to our website and for giving us feedback and giving us all kinds of reviews over on iTunes and stuff. Um, and I do appreciate the people that have given us the reviews on iTunes. We never did get enough to actually do a live uh, I know. satellite broadcast from the INS headquarters in Chicago, but... I guess people in Chicago don't care enough to listen to us do it live. Nope. Fuck losers. it. Losers. <laughs> do it live. Those are losers. They're losers. Sad. 